Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 15 years of law enforcement analysis experience both as an analyst and an analyst supervisor. She's a dispatcher turned analyst. She is also a forensic composite artist and holds a master's of science degree in crime analysis from Tiffin University, representing Delaware County Sheriff's Office in Northern Ohio. Please welcome Brooke Seagard. Brooke, how are we doing? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing very well. I want to do a Shout out to Lindsay Witter. She named names and got me on your tail to get you on the show here. So thank you to Lindsay. Absolutely. Glad right. she remembered where she came from. <laughs> Very good. You <laughs> taught her everything she knows, right? I wish. I wish. <laughs> All right. So let's start out. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Not exactly sure. Being advanced in years, my memory's not exactly <laughs> on par, but I in dispatch, I really like the fast pace and the ever guessing of what's going to happen next. So you're required to put in who's involved, what's involved, cars, etc. Well, I wouldn't just take that as I'm done. I always went above and beyond the, okay, they just had a partial plate. I'm like, well, I'm going to get the full one. I'm, I'm bored here. And this, <laughs> this is second shift, fast pace. It's Idle Minds is the devil's workshop. I am the poster child for that. So in lieu of causing trouble, I decided to put my mind at work and I would do my best to help out the deputies responding to calls. We dispatch for numerous agencies, so I would also help them as well, the municipalities within our county. So we had some successes and it was recognized by the superiors and they granted me a position within our administration and helping out the detective division. And at that time, it was child enticement. I would also assist detectives with reviewing cases and some, I don't know, case involvement. And then we had some administrative changes. At that point, the incoming sheriff came from an analysis position. So he created a crime analyst position and I was awarded that position. So it kind of grew with me and it's now where it is. So. All right. Good. I'm always fascinated by what analysts were doing prior to becoming an analyst or how they got their foot in the door, so to speak. And so we've had a couple of guests now on the podcast who became dispatchers first. It's sometimes can be difficult for people looking to become analysts to get their, their foot in the door. So I want to explore a little bit about becoming a dispatcher. And so what was the hiring process like for being a dispatcher? The test you took, the the interview process, so on and so forth. It was a lot different when I got hired. (laughs) It was, do you want the job? Okay. (laughs) Nowadays, it's a lot more involved. I'm not exactly sure what, if there are some tests. I know that there are civil service tests. There are some aptitude tests. I don't know what 100% what our process is. They are located in a different facility, Mm -hmm. but it is an involved process now. And they did a background on me and the the standard there is still in existence, but you do uh, training on all three shifts. And can you, the big thing is officer safety. Can you keep up with the officers and or deputies? There's multiple channels. There's are you putting in data correctly? Are you getting all the necessary information? Can you handle calls and dispatch the radio traffic at the same time? Because we don't have designated call taker and radio. You're doing both. Mm-hmm. And you have to pass the field training if you get hired, then pass the training, and then you get released. So it's pretty extensive. Yeah. So what did you find to be the most difficult in the beginning? You are very intimidated when you hit that busy ship and the phones are ringing. 911 phone, which is a separate line, is ringing. Radio traffic's going off. It's very intimidating. Hmm. I feel that you can or you can't. You've got to have that multitasking ability 
and thick skin because these callers are having their worst moment. That's why they're calling. Mm -hmm. And you, you've just got to take control in a peaceful, calm way and get that information, relay it very specifically and quickly to the deputies so that they can get there and take control of the situation and then move on to the next call. It's just nothing is textbook. No two domestics are the same. No two burglaries are the same. It's just, it's, it's very hard to train because like I said, it's nothing is textbook. Nothing is black and white. Yeah. So nowadays they have two TV shows dedicated to you know, 911 dispatchers. I think I, they're both on Fox. I can't remember. One's Lone Star or something. I think I've seen it. I, don't, I haven't caught either of the shows, but certainly know there's out there. And so they're playing off on some pretty crazy circumstances that could happen to 911 dispatchers. So as you think back, do you have a, a favorite story that you like to tell? I wouldn't say it's a favorite story, but you get people who are suicidal. Usually you have the opportunity to activate our negotiation team. I did not have that opportunity. I became the negotiator mm. and we had our negotiating team captain in the room and I did not have the opportunity or the chance to hand off the caller to him. So he was coaching me to be the negotiator. Wow. So I just, I became the negotiator, no training. I'm in the hot mm. seat at that point. Wow. And he disconnected and I had to reestablish connection until deputies got there and hope with all the power that he would answer that phone. And he did. And I got him to stay on the line with me until deputies arrived and diffuse the situation. Very thankful. Everything worked out, but that is a situation that you're not prepared for. Nobody is. Nobody's prepared for that. And things worked out to the benefit of everybody. And you just got to think, Oh, what, what do you say to somebody that is not <laughs> okay. So what can I say to this person to make them come out of this mode? So I just went for things that he cherished his grandkids, his wife, his family. So, and it, in a ways on you, they, they brought in the crisis counselors for all the responders and dispatchers. So that was nice. It's just something that you must know will happen eventually if you're a career dispatcher. Not something I ever thought would happen, but it did. And we all got through it. So was this person at the house or what, what, where was the location that this? They, they were at their home. Okay. And then who, who called 911? He did. He called. Oh, okay. So he was, he was yeah. reaching out for help. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's good. And so why was there a disconnect? He just wanted somebody to know where he could be located. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so I had up the phone himself. Yeah. And I reestablished contact and got him to talk to me until units could get on scene and to further diffuse him from committing the act. Man, that is a story. So, so did you ever meet him? I did not know. Okay. That was a, that was a fascinating side. So fr from your perspective, it would be like you and I right now having this conversation and it could just right now this situation could happen to you. You just never know when you're going to be put into that situation. So it could be just a normal conversation every day. This seems like a normal day to you get thrown into something you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And you have this event occur. Once you got done with the call, did you have to t like remove yourself from it and just realize what just happened or did you just go on with work or did that maybe that rationalization didn't come until later in the day? It was much later. Mm -hmm. It was probably, probably a day or two later because you're still on a high. Mm -hmm. you, you're still like, oh, okay, next. You're yeah. still, and it didn't really sink in. The, the magnitude of the situation didn't sink in. I'm just like, okay, that, okay, he's good. Next. Yeah. Man. So w when you did realize it then, what was going through your mind or what was your reaction? Just stunned, I think. Just, I think I was just stunned. Like, wow, that just happened. Huh. And just, you go from a high to a low and just, I was fine mm -hmm. because he was fine. Sure. I don't even want to go to the, to the mindset. What if he wasn't, I, I don't even want to go there, but 
I, I think I just accepted that it was fine and I was able to move on from it and I didn't need anything further. Yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating. So also when you're a dispatcher here, we talked yesterday on the prep call, you had mentioned the team that you, you had there. And I found it fascinating that it sounds like that team of dispatchers is still with the police department, but they're doing different roles. Yeah, we, of- yeah we had one dispatcher that is now, she went to the road. She is now a detective. So we still work together quite often. Another dispatcher is a fingerprint analyst and she works with our property room and responds out to search warrants and crime scenes. And our other dispatcher programmed one of our former RMSs, our records management systems, and he is in our IT division. So we work a lot together still. So yeah, we we all still have a very tight bond. Yeah. And and you as a team had a pretty good reputation as dispatchers, right? Yes, we did. And we on when it gets really busy, if there's a call in progress, which we consider hot call, that's when we miss it. Like if there's a burglary in progress or a robbery in progress, we're like, ooh, let's do that. And then we don't miss it anymore. <laughs> but then we're like, nah, okay. The mundane days we're like, man. <laughs> so what did being a dispatcher allow you to bring to the analyst position? Well, it could go benefit both crime and it can benefit intelligence. No, I do both. Mm -hmm. So the crime analyst, you know what questions need to be asked, what the deputies can obtain and where it goes in the call. So you know where to look for this information and you know when they didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) So you know who to go after. But it's, you know, like where the information needs to be, how to get that information to do the crime trend prediction. Mm-hmm. And as a dispatcher, you know, okay, well, there's a habit of the deputies not getting it. So maybe you can pass on a dispatch. Hey, could you possibly get that for me? And sometimes I do. And it's great. Yeah. So I don't have to wait for the report to be done. I can look at the dispatcher comments and like, awesome. And they get it. Then intelligence, it's the same questions a little more involved, but it's the same initial questions, the who, what, when, where, how, why. So you're trained. It's ingrained in your brain. Those are the questions you ask when you pick up the phone. So it's there. So you're looking for some key information the dispatchers get, and you can pick up on some stuff that they get that the deputies may not really put in the report. They may have been told that, but it may not have been an important element for their report, but the dispatchers typed it in there. So you know to always go to the dispatcher comments. And then you can roll with intelligence. Great information. It, it's just a great asset to know what dispatchers do and the information that they get and to rely on that. And then what they're trained to type in everything that's aired to them. So you go into their backlog of information in there. So to know what they do, great tool. <laughs> so using that tool coming from there, and there's so much better with all the tools that they have now so that they're putting so much more in there than we had back back in my day. <laughs> I can use that as a foundation for the intelligence that I'm providing the detectives. So yeah, when I had Albert Mesa on the program, he, he was another analyst that started out as a dispatcher and certainly highly recommends analysts doing sit-alongs with dispatchers if they have the opportunity. Because there is information that may be on the dispatcher side that analysts may not be receiving from their RMS. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's important to be able to identify all the information at the 911 center in case an analyst ever needs it. it there are wonderful tools, dispatchers. So as you mentioned, they create the position, you become an analyst, you're working on child enticement cases. You also mentioned yesterday in the prep call that your father was a sheriff. No, I'm sorry, was a, a he cop. worked for the city police department. So you have that background growing up. You're coming in from dispatch. Did you find it to get acclimated to the role to be easy? Oh yeah, it, I grew up with law enforcement knowledge, like my surroundings, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. It, he's. After the initial shock of changing majors, (laughs) he supported my endeavors. Mm -hmm. So when we had the administration change and I started the role as the analyst, the administrator was more of a 
numbers, administrative analyst, not so much crime analysis. So he wanted it all in-house based information. I'm like, "Mm, okay, not really beneficial, but okay, I'll do what you tell me, you pay me. So our current sheriff at the time was the chief of police for Delaware City. So he was my dad's boss. And they were looking, they had a series of burglaries or B&Es. I don't recall it currently, but my dad had provided me copies of the police reports to do a crime prediction. So I did that. And then I sent it back to them and it was beneficial for them. And our current sheriff supported that information and supported my assistance. So I wasn't going to charge them over time when I wasn't, I just did it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That supported me. I'm going to support him. I'm like, <laughs> take the credit for it. I don't care. They all know he doesn't know how to work in computer, but whatever. <laughs> who cares? So it, it was just a professional favor. And it's great now that he's my boss. He supports furthering the u- using data from outside to support inside and vice versa. It's great. So let's uh, talk about the, the first uh, couple years there as an analyst. You mentioned child enticement. What, as an analyst, are you doing to support the child enticement case? Well, I wasn't an analyst then. I was solely oh, okay. child enticement. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. And then I moved into the analyst role from child enticement. Oh, okay. So then what was your position with child enticement? I was the undercover unit portraying a t- a youth. Oh, okay. So online mm-hmm. and and doing that. So, man, take I guess just take us back to that because I mean, how does one get acclimated to doing that, or the training that you had, or was it surprisingly way easier than what you thought it was going to be? Oh yeah, it was gross. Yeah, old men just actually one was old, one wasn't, but we ended up doing two undercover operations got two arrests, took them to court, pled out, gave me. So I only did that for a year. Mm-hmm. And during that year, I was also working on my crime analysis degree. Got I obtained that and then moved into the crime analyst role. So did you find out that there was going to be an analyst role opening up and then decide no. to get the degree? No, I was working on that first. What made you decide to get a crime analysis degree? I had already had a major, or I'm sorry, <laughs> a master degree from Tiffin. Mm-hmm. And I could use the core requirements to transfer over for another one, another degree. So I only needed to get the specific courses for the additional major. So I only needed the crime analysis courses. So how many did you have to take? Mm, it was only half the required credit hours. Okay. So it only took a few months. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I, we haven't talked about the Tiffin program on this show before. So just briefly describe it, what you think about it, what you got out of it. I thought it was wonderful. My first degree was seated. So I had to go up there, which it was a great experience. The professors were amazing. All the other students were amazing. It was only one day a week, but it was a full day. It was eight hours up there. Mm-hmm. And then... The second course was all online. I felt that that course was more intensive than the seated. Oh, okay. Why is that? It it just, because you had to basically prove you were working on your schoolwork, I felt. That's my perception. Mm -hmm. But you had to do, you had your required assignments. But then you also had your group thread discussions and you had to post and respond so many times and I just felt that there was more involvement with the online, which is fine. It's still to your convenience. Mm -hmm. But I also enjoyed that too, because it was to your convenience. Now, the first one, the forensic psychology, I think that one is still seated, but I would, I would not feel comfortable taking that one online because of the material. But I had wonderful professors for my online courses. So. So what were some of the courses for crime analysis? Microsoft, the programming with, oh heck. Well, definitely. What's the, (laughs) why am I blanking? Oh, it starts with an A. Yeah. The Microsoft products for law enforcement. Access. Yes. Making databases and access. Mm -hmm. Excel. I absolutely love Excel now because of that. (laughs) And then you have the statistics and there's so many different like crime analysis courses 
or I think majors like crime analysis for this and that and what like Homeland Security and they've changed it since I I got it right when it became a thing <laughs> is when I took the courses so I'm not even sure yeah now, did you have to do an internship or a practicum? I had to go up there for a week mm-hmm. in lieu of writing a dissertation because oh, okay. I am not one to like writing papers. <laughs> so I was like, I will take a week. And then what did you do in that week? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 13 years ago. I don't remember. Uh, so then you get the degree. You've been working child enticement cases. Now you're ready to start being an analyst. What's the feeling as you are going in for the first time in the first couple of weeks as an analyst? Well, I have been here for six, seven years already. I had proven myself. So I already had, I had already worked my way through people trusting me. So I was, it was already an acceptance. I already fit in. So I, all the guys in the detective division knew me from, they were on the road and I was in radio. So it was one big family already. It was here's your work up. Okay. Thanks. It was just getting over the, I'm not your secretary. Mm. Yeah. I'm not making your copies. Have fun. (laughs) But I issue subpoenas for their cases. And then I go through what they receive back, issue additional, and then we develop suspects that way. And then we dig up from there, or I'm trying to find property through some of our paid access programs or open source, whatever I'm led to via the report information or their interviews or whatever I've been provided. It's really just here. This is what I have. Have fun. So the position's new to the the sheriff's office. So what is their expectation or, or goals for you in the beginning? Make it work. And, and we did, there was Lindsay, she was in our task force, and then I was in the general. And then, so, we, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday as well, is that, that you were given free reign. It was just make the position what you thought it should be. And so, as you look back now, what are some of the highlights or maybe the, some of the things you're most proud of that, that you accomplished with the position? The predictive analysis for our property crimes getting the deputies in the right area at the right time. They love that as much as I do. (laughs) They love to hunt. They do. (laughs) They really do. They love to catch them. And the detectives love it. They will go out. You just tell them when to be out. They'll go out. They love to catch them. They were tailing one suspect in a stolen car. And I was like, just check this area. Just, Just go to this hotel for me. I have a hunch. This one detective just wanted to get on my nerves and not go to that hotel. I'm like, I'm telling you he's at that hotel and just wanted to like almost get to there and just not check it. And I'm like, fine, I'll have somebody else do it. So some, another detective went there and lo and behold, the suspect jumps out the hotel window because he was there. So, so what made you think that the suspect was going to be there? Because all suspects hide out at that hotel. (laughs) But it's like, he's, his cell phone's pinging in the area and he's nowhere else where you checked. Why would you not drive 300 yards just that way (laughs) I'm like come on but it was just funny I'm like yeah well he just jumped into the bushes good job hey you got it though so that's the I guess the good yeah oh yeah it was it was just one of those like you stick your tongue out and make a face but like I told you (laughs) but all in all end goal he was captured it doesn't matter Hmm. all right and then it sounds like you were doing mostly investigative support stuff is that what the position stayed at for most of the time you were an analyst before you became a supervisor? Yes. Well, and I did some administrative, a lot of administrative. And then I actually, we had an administrative analyst. So I proposed a position for that, mainly because I don't like stats. <laughs> and it was awarded. We hired an analyst, fortunate for her, unfortunate for me. She moved on to a much better position for her at another agency. She's doing wonderful. But our administrative analyst. You can drop her name. uh, Jessica Laguki. Oh, okay. She is doing wonderful. She, so when she left, I took back on the role of stats. So So we're back there. Is it just crime stats? So it's like number of homicides, all this other stuff, or what kind of stats are you doing as administrative work? All stats. Like how many traffic stops were done here? I'm like, who cares? (laughs) But no, it's all statistical requests. 
Like, how many reports has this deputy done? That any request the admin wants. And it's it's just not hard. It's just not my interest. It's busy my work. Interest, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it, totally fine. It's just, I'd rather be doing crime trends, but it's fine. Hey there, everybody. This is Albert Mesa, and I'm here to ask you a very important question. Have you ever done a sit-along with the dispatcher? If the answer is no, and you're currently an analyst, you're missing out on a huge piece of the data puzzle. Not only will you open your eyes to how data is captured, entered, and coded, you'll see how calls are prioritized and dispatched and get a true feel for CAD data. You'll get to see it in a whole new light and use it as a tool in your analysis. And who doesn't want to sit with the true first responder who probably saved a life right before they sat with you? You are going to be the host of a new video tutorial segment for LEA Podcasts yes. called Small Steps. Just give the audience a little snippet on what they can yeah. expect from these videos. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the idea is is there's a lot of things and in, in without having to sit through an hour long thing to, you know, get through multiple things at once, just a short videos. And kind of the way I, I like to see is hey, like when you're searching for something yourself on YouTube, this or that, what do you, what do you, you get something specific, you get a small piece and it's, it's a lot easier to digest. So I think the idea behind this is, is really sometimes it might be a, a couple episodes in a row tackling the same type of thing, but it's just a quick, Hey, check it out. Here's a quick tip. Here's how you do it. And for this specifically, it's typically using some law enforcement type data, some data that'll be similar to what you would use and, and how you could use it. So like examples, just, you know, text a column or certain formulas, concatenate, VLOOKUP, XLOOKUP. Some of these, you know, some of these, you, you just, like I say, you might not. I'm still, I don't by any means consider myself an expert. Anything to make it easier, I kind of learn at the same time. And I love sharing with other analysts, not an hour-long class. You don't have to sign up for it. It's not costing you $10 for yeah. stuff you might or might not know. It's just a quick videos, quick tips. Yeah. So, so this uh, video series, it, it's going to begin Tuesday, April 5th. We'll release every Tuesday. The first one is a series on text to columns. Is that correct? That's correct. If you have suggestions for what you would want videos shown of, uh, whether it's in Excel or Access or SQL or whatever pr program it may be, send us an email, LEA Podcasts with an S at gmail.com or give us a, a comment in one of our social media postings. Hi, this is Adrian Galbrick. Have you ever received an email on a giant listserv and started to hit reply all instead of just reply? If so, you're not the only one and just always pause and double check before you hit send. So I also want to get your reaction on, on the idea of free reign with an analyst. I, I had Dr. Rachel Santos on the show a month or so ago, and I've heard from analysts that they were just saying, okay, their supervisor said, I don't really know what to do with you. We just hired you. Just go do. And Rachel's perspective is that that's not necessarily what should happen at departments, so that the, the analyst role should be part of their policy and that you should be able to go to a police department's policy and know exactly what each analyst is assigned to do and is part of a long-term goal. And the analyst role should not drastically change with the changing of a police chief. Not that it can't change with a police chief, but what they're doing is on a day-to-day -day basis in policy, that's what's set out to do. And it shouldn't be that, oh, analyst decides, well, I want to look at burglaries today. And oh, well, no, no, next day I want to look at this and kind of play whack-a-mole and be all just doing whatever they want. But given you're coming in, getting that free reign, I mean, what do you think about that idea? I agree with there needs to be policy and procedure, but it needs to be vague and just support the mission. I mean, support the agency's mission and support the direction of the agency. Now, each agency runs differently too. Right now, I'm running on one analyst for our administrative and general patrol and one analyst for our multi-jurisdictional task force. I can't have specified roles. I'm working as three myself and my other one's working as two. So I have to 
work as a multifunctioning unit, but I'm an individual. So I can work on burglaries today and I can work on suspect tomorrow and statistics the next day. So it really depends on how the agency works, yet still having a functioning policy because we can't function without a policy. Every other division is going to have a policy. Yeah. Does your office have crime analysis or intelligence analysis in their policy? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's basically encompassing how we utilize our law enforcement sensitive systems, how the information is released, and the request of information. Mm-hmm. And believe, really, that's it. But we are to support our mission which, you know, is the safety and security of citizens. And we are to abide by 28 CFR Part 23. <laughs> Man, I don't know about you. I, that, to me, all time is the most boring class I've ever taken. Oh, it is. 28 CFR. Live right on out of you, but. Oh, my goodness. It is, yeah. It's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to diminish its importance, but it is oh, incredibly boring. The most important rule can be told to you in five minutes, yet they drag <laughs> it out for 40 hours. Exactly. Oh, man. But so then with the supervisor role, was it your idea to create a super, supervisor role or how did that supervisor role come, come to be? No, that was administration's idea. Mm-hmm. And I applied and interviewed with some great candidates and I was selected. So what was your, did you make a pitch? In terms of? When you interviewed, what was your vision? To grow the unit and further support education and personal growth, strengthen our strengths and strengthen our weaknesses. And at the time, what did you think the weaknesses were? Well, we are in separate locations, and I think we need to work on our communication a lot better in terms of what they're working on, what I'm working on. And we need to start working on what you're working on and what we are working on needs to be the case. What are we working on? So there needs to be a lot more cross-training. Of course, we need a lot more analysts. So... You said it. How many analysts are there total? There's two now. There's two now. And that's you and two others? No. Just two of you. Okay. Me and another. Yeah. But there's there's supposed to be how many? Four. Four. Yeah, that's, but that's we tough. have no space either to grow right now. We're building a new building and then we'll have more analysts. So. so as a supervisor then for analysts, what's your strategy of assigning tasks for that two people will do that four people are supposed to be doing? I utilize external resources. So depending on what the request is, what agency has the strength in that request is where I farm it out to if I can't do it. And then you'll eventually hire new analysts, I'm thinking. As you mentioned, once you get the new building, what will you do to get that analyst acclimated to the police department and let's just say they're fairly new analysts maybe not having a position before so they're very green i find it i find it fascinating the idea of a civilian coming in and how they adapt to the police department i had joe lorenz who's an officer from cincinnati police department on the show a couple weeks ago and he mentioned that in terms of he's a sworn officer who became an analyst and so from his perspective it was a lot easier for him to take all his training and knowledge as a police officer and then had to learn how to be an analyst as opposed to an analyst trying to learn everything that police officer may know so i i find it fascinating this idea of civilians coming in and getting them acclimated to the position. Well, that's interesting because I'm not sure. I've always had internal people interested, Mm -hmm. but this is probably something I would require experience and or educational background in, which would still be fresh, somebody fresh coming in from the outside. So it's going to be an awakening to me and them. (laughs) because it's the, this is how our system works. This is where information comes from and then bring them to dispatch. And our patrol is not even in one location. They're spread out over two locations and 
our administration is in yet another location. So it's this is where all of our information could be. And these are the people involved in where the information is coming from. And then this is where I want you sitting. So if you need any of this information, familiarize yourself with where it could be coming from. So it's going to be a huge learning curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. I mean, and, and Joe said this, he's like, I, Joe wasn't saying that therefore you, you should only have sworn officers become analysts. He just knows that from his experience that civilians coming in, it's a huge endeavor trying to fully understand the ins and outs of the police department. Oh yeah. I, I can only imagine. And there's pros and cons to it. I can only imagine. I wouldn't know what they are because <laughs> I grew up with law enforcement in my blood, but yeah. I can, I, I don't know, not having any bad habits already ingrained in you, in your mind, your mindset's fresh, but then having to explain all that, I, it, I don't know. I'm sure there's pros and cons to both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So besides obviously being short analyst today, what's your thing that you think about the most? I don't know. It can weigh on you however you want to do it. It can excite you. What fills your thoughts as an analyst supervisor? What's for lunch? (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, I play more the role of a day-to-day analyst than I do more so the supervisor. Mm-hmm. I like to make sure that today is actually one of my employees' last days. So I have two employees until four o'clock. She is moving on to her dream role in another jurisdiction, neighboring jurisdiction. So congratulations to her. Who is this? Uh, her name is Sabrina. She's moving to Marion, just north of us. Nice. So new contact. Yay. Go. Another access point for information. She has worked very, very hard to get this for herself. And I'm very proud of her. But as a supervisor, I would like to think I'm very encouraging to my staff. Make sure that they have what they need and direct them to what they need if they don't have it. And then I play the role as an analyst day to day. Now, for the last month, I've been playing the role of not here. But (laughs) I've still been in contact with my staff to make sure they're doing okay and keeping them up to date on my status and seeing what they need if anything yeah because you've been out on medical leave after back surgery right how long have you been out um a month i've been out the entire month of march i return monday wow man and so that's a successful surgery still in recovery mode but a successful surgery right yes and driving myself nuts so i asked the doctor if i could come back (laughs) i'm ready i sit in a chair no harm no foul can i please go back now was he okay with that or is he's like no the sitting all day long is detrimental to your recovery no he's fine with that as long as there's no lifting and okay yeah all right so I guess before we move on, just uh, curious to know, you come from a dispatcher as an analyst and analyst supervisor. How's the data? (laughs) Wow. You want to end on a dirty note, don't you? (laughs) The data is never clean. It just isn't. It can't be. There's too many fingers in the fire. It's very frustrating. And they know not to come to me with their complaints because I will come at them. But it starts in dispatch. The data starts in dispatch and it goes from dispatch to patrol to the supervisors that approve the reports to our records. And I have preached until I just have no more voice and they don't care. So let's say the sheriff comes to you and says, I want to improve the data process. And what would you tell him? Well, I would tell them to start smacking the fingers to everybody that puts in the wrong nature code. Nature code being? The type of call that comes in. But the problem is some of it is a translation issue in our system. So can't really point fingers. So it it's a big mess. We just got a new system. And I'm like, how are you doing this already? It, yeah, I've tried. It's cleaner than it used to be, but it's still not clean. I'm like, fine. If I can't predict where the crime's going to be, you're going to take more calls then. It's... It is amazing to me that for as much as we rely on data, that there isn't more emphasis to make sure that it's 
completely accurate. Well, it's the people putting it in that don't care. Yeah, but it's, in a way, the sheriff and the supervisors are enabling them to do it because they're not requiring them to get it to be accurate. Well, yes and no. We have quality assurance coming in from a dispatch supervisor who knows how anal I am about the data. So all I have to do is send her a message, like, and then I send her the call number. She's like, this is what the sergeant said to do. And I'm like, fine, then I'll go to the sergeant. And then he gets in trouble. By me, it's not really gets in trouble. He just gets a rash of crap for me. But then I have to educate them. There's this certain nature that why it was even created is beyond me because it'll set me off. But I'm like, really? Like you couldn't think of anything else to make it. So it's just hard to get through some of that. Now they have gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. And mainly it's because I'm on day shift and I watch everything they do, but watch I'll go dog. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'm like, come at me then. I'm just going through and changing it. Now, there are some liability issues if they respond on lights and sirens on a call because it was nature to reason to respond that way. I'm not changing it. Like, mm -mm. but some natures I will. So does, I mean, and I think it is fascinating from your perspective because what's going on? You were a dispatcher, that system, even though it's new, but you at least know what should and shouldn't be going on. And so you can really push back harder than I think other analysts may because of your experience. I would think so. Well, and it doesn't take much to type in two other digits. I don't know. It does seem that across the board with police departments, there should be way more emphasis on the data getting into the records management and it seems like there's a ton of vendors out there that want to sell you a software that can do all this stuff but we're always capped with the quality of data garbage in garbage out aspect and yet we seem to be more infatuated with these shiny new toys than this i know it's boring it's 28 cfr boring to sit there and fix data issues but to me, it's well worth the investment. I would agree. My administration would agree. The people that are putting it in would not agree. But I mean, but then there there should be some program to entice them to to care. I just wish there was a buzzer that would zap them <laughs> if they put in the wrong stuff. I was thinking I was thinking carrot, you were thinking stick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing out an option. Yeah, I, um, all all options on the table, please. All right. Well, very good. So I do want to get to you being a composite sketch artist. I take it, did, did you grow up being an artist? I did, but it is actually easier for a non-artist to be a composite artist. Why is that? Because you don't have the structure to want to put on the paper what you think should be there. What a composite artist is, is just really a tool for a translation tool. Mm -hmm. You're putting somebody's memory as a visual aid on paper. You are not doing a portrait by any stretch. It's not a portrait. That's what the online critics behind the scene bullies when the news puts up a character, not a character, but a composite sketch. Have you seen this person, this blah, blah, blah. And they're like, look, his eyes are crossed. Look, Okay, well, were you the victim? Were you there? Did you see him? No, you did. But I can't really get on there and shout at them. (laughs) But so you're not doing a portrait. As an artist, what what are you used to doing? Used to doing portraits. So it's really hard to just put what the victim or witness is telling you. So if they didn't describe certain features because they don't know and there's no like, usually ears are not, unless they stick way out or they're really abnormal, mm-hmm. they, they don't describe them. So you just put average. You need input in order to get it on the piece of paper, right? It's just like you were saying, it's a translation. But I'm guessing there would be a series of questions, right? That you need the, the input in order to get it on the piece of paper. Well, right? yeah. So I have gone to training and you were trained on these interview skills. You ask open-ended questions. I do have reference materials 
But if they describe something completely off the wall, you put it down how they describe it. So what's, what's an example of that? Like something wild that somebody told you? Well, I did a sketch that looked like it had a pair of underwear, but it was a bandana. It was a, it was a face covering. Mm-hmm. But the way they described it looked like this guy had a pair of underwear in his face, like tidy whities <laughs> Great up underwear in his face. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to put that out there. Have you seen this guy? Because he's probably still wearing the tidy whities on his face. <laughs> well, I'll have to tell you a couple years later, they made an arrest. Uh, so they were able to identify tidy whitey. Yeah. And my captain, I will tell you, won't tell you his name because he knows who he is if he ever listens to this. But he made fun of one of my sketches. <laughs> like, of course he did. But he's like, this guy looks like a Q-tip. I'm like, <laughs> but he was identified and he looked very similar to the sketch. I'm like, I can describe him. But he did. He looked like a Q-tip. I'm like, okay, wouldn't have said that, but all right. Yeah. So, so what are some, like, I guess maybe take us through, or if you want to use ear, it's whatever it is. So what would you need to draw the ear? Or you can pick anybody part that you want to. How would you narrow down? What would be some series of questions that you would ask? Well, I would have you walk me through the incident. Mm-hmm. So I know whether you saw the subject head on, profile, expressions, and then any face coverings, distinguishing features. And then what feature stands out the most? Okay. And then describe that feature to me. And then I would take you to the reference. And that's, is that a picture or is that something you yeah, just drew? A, that's, do you have like a, a series of ears, noses, mouths? Is that how mm-hmm. it works? Okay. Yeah. Right. Everything down to like eyebrows, wrinkles. I have a series of all the reference. Yeah. Okay. A reference of all that. I yeah. just took backwards. Yeah. You can tell I've never been an eyewitness before. <laughs> I had no well, idea how the process like, works. It's, it's hard to describe someone you see every day because they don't shock you into fear and oh. a position where you're like, oh my God. So the one time you actually interviewed a serial killer trying yeah. to identify a victim that he mm-hmm. had. I did. So take so, us through that story. That was an I believe a seven or eight year old case. So in 2015, I believe is when I interviewed the serial killer in jail, clearly with a detective was not by myself. The skeletal remains were recovered in, I want to say 2007, 2008. I don't recall. And there had been a reconstruction to try to identify who this was. And I don't know if there, there was a picture of this. And he's like, no, that doesn't really look like her. And I only remember her first name. So we did a sketch based off what he recalls. Mm -hmm. At the same time, well, not the exact same time, but in the process, BCI was working on a new clay reconstruction with a new artist. And my sketch and her reconstruction were very similar. Unfortunately, still unable to make an identification based off those two items. It was a DNA test through familial DNA Mm -hmm. through a third party that was able to identify her out of state, but it it was just great to be a part of that process. Yeah. So I guess Uh, take us to actually interviewing the serial killer. It was the most backward interview. It it was the same process that Mm -hmm. I used with trying to identify him, Mm -hmm. but it was just trying to identify the victim, which how many opportunities do you get with that? Not many. Nothing felt awkward or I felt safe. I was in a jail with a detective and there were, he was non-threatening. He sincerely wanted this girl identified. So he was doing the best he could do to try to help me put her on paper. And, and who is the serial killer? Sean Great. He was at a Mansfield. He was being held in the Ashland County Jail. So... But it sounds like you're a professional about it and it was just, you were doing your job there. Now, was there a sense maybe afterwards, similar to what we talked about before with the the dispatching call there where you were being the negotiator? Was there a point in time maybe afterwards that you just realized who you were just talking to and how did it feel different later? Mm-mm. No. Oh, mm. That's, that's fascinating. I mean, it makes sense why you would need a, a sketch artist in that regard. But before we talked yesterday, I wouldn't even have thought about it to use a sketch artist in that situation where that would come up. 
but certainly for the family, I'm certainly glad that they did identify the, the victim, but man. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll try to move on from that. That's a little bit of a downer. So, but let's stick on you being an artist and we'll move into personal interests then. So outside of being a sketch artist, do you work on your art? I would like to a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I have littles that want to draw with me and on my stuff. So (laughs) I don't really get the opportunity often, but yes, I do. I do like to draw. It's a de-stressor for me. And I'm fascinated to get your take here. I, one of my friends is an artist and he had this perspective on drawing. And he says, yes, there's the idea of being able to draw. But in his mind, there's so much technique to it that he felt that if he could take any group of people and teach them the techniques of maybe drawing Donald Duck, for instance, and that he could show them the different techniques of drawing. And over a period of time, all of them could draw Donald Duck to the point where the average person would think it would be really good. I don't feel that I draw very well. I'm fairly messy, <laughs> both in my <laughs> handwriting and and I'm doing anything with a pen or pencil. So I, I find it fascinating that it's how much technique versus ability there is going into drawing there's definitely a technique and I don't have the same technique as I come from a family of artists and I do not share the same techniques as some of them Mm -hmm. so it's really what your preference is I cannot do anything in color color stresses me out (laughs) I just can't because it it, it has to erase or I can't do it gotcha so when you are drawing what are some things that you are drawing is it like nature animals cartoons people um me well usually people people I, I get a lot of requests for me to draw portraits of family members together oh okay in that regard are you creating the same so you're taking three different people that obviously then, aren't in a photo together, but then you're creating a scene in which all three of those individuals are in the same scene together. Yeah. Let's okay. see where that would be. That would be uh, of value and interesting, but th- that seems like it would take quite a long time. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so have you done any drawing since you've been laid up at home after back surgery? No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Well, huh. well, hopefully you get back into it and uh, get the kiddos in, involved too. My daughter's uh, in, a, in a couple art classes and I've been impressed with what she's come home with. She really enjoys it. And I think we're actually going to send her to summer camp this summer for it. So yeah, my daughter can paint. I'm like, whoa, you did not get that for me. Yeah. Another family member on that one, right? Does she like yep. color? She can do good with color. <laughs> so, all right. Well, very good. All right. Well, our last segment to the show is Words to the World. And this is where I give the guests the last word. Brooke, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? Promote clean data. It's going to be the hardest thing ever, but keep to it. And stay on top of technology. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you. have given me just enough to talk bad about you later. <laughs> Perfect. But I do appreciate you being on the show, Brooke. Thank you so much, and you be safe. Thanks, you too. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.